0: This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery.
1: Ask yourself this fundamental question. What type of business are we really in as healthcare providers? As leaders of health systems or hospitals, are we in the health and wellness business? Are we in the sickness business? Or are we in the care coordination business? And I would submit to you that we're in the care coordination business.
2: Hello, and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Kelly Richard. And today, together with my guest host and lead strategy thought leader at SG2, Bill Woodson, we have the honor of speaking with John Kouras, president and CEO of Tampa General Hospital. Our conversation will be focused on leading an innovative organization and an evolving system of care, along with the challenges of a public health crisis.
0: John, thanks so much for joining us today. The timing is fortunate and unfortunate for our audience. And given that you're in Tampa in one of the epicenters of the resurgence of the virus or the Delta, we're curious on how the organization has responded. Based on all the things you learned last year, was it easy to restart and get your command center back in the game? We're worried about the workforce. Just gives you your perspectives of what's going on on the ground right now. It's great to be with you it was relatively easy to restart
1: because we never really stopped. Don't get me wrong, we were definitely seeing trends going down. We saw trends like everybody else where the virus was abating and we were getting back to normal inside the walls of the institution. But we also worked really hard at creating a state of readiness because we figured that there was a seasonality to COVID and we were always going to be prepared. I have a chief operating officer, Kelly Cullen. She's outstanding. She had us ready all the time. When we started to see the Delta variant start to come on, we were ready. And so we really didn't miss a beat. Plenty of PPE, plenty of oxygen. Our doctors were ready, nurses, respiratory therapists, environmental services, food and nutrition, patient transport, and the list goes on. People were really ready. I will tell you, people are tired, they're fatigued, staffing is a bit stretched, and we have more COVID patients than we've had at any point. At the height of the pandemic, prior to this Delta variant surge, we had about 86 patients in the hospital. Today, we have 193. Out of the 193, we currently have 61 in our COVID ICUs. We have about 18 on ventilators and we have four on ECMO. But this is clearly a surge of the unvaccinated. And I'll give you one data point just to prove that. In the last 24 hours, we had 40 COVID admissions. Four of the 40 were vaccinated, and that has been typical. So if we have a night where we have 30 admissions, we might have two or three vaccinated patients in that 30. When we look at the data and we see what's coming through our ERs, this is clearly a surge of the unvaccinated. What's also interesting, and this has gotten the general public kind of nervous. I don't think anybody's doing this intentionally. When the media started to see an increase in vaccinated patients getting hospitalized and you started to read about it and hear about it on television, we said, time out, everybody. You have to look at the type of patient that's coming through that's vaccinated, that's being admitted in our kind of an institution that's heavily on the tertiary, quaternary kind of rare and complex work, we have a disproportionate share of transplant patients, very complicated oncology patients. Those types of patients already have compromised immune systems. They never had a full and robust response to the vaccine in the first place. They then get COVID, no fault of their own, and their immune system's already suppressed. They're the ones ending up in the hospital, in some cases, not in a lot, on ventilators. When you hear X number of vaccinated patients in ICUs getting ventilated, it's really very sick patients that already
0: have compromised immune systems that happen to be vaccinated. Does that make sense? It does. Given this burden, have you been able to sustain the rest of your pretty complex clinical operations, including procedures and everything else?
1: We have. We're a 1,041-bed hospital today. Now, probably about 15% of the hospital has COVID patients in it. The rest of the hospital is obviously non-COVID. Up until today, we have not had to slow down surgeries or elective surgeries I have made it very clear to our community that if you're suffering chest pains stroke symptoms obviously in a trauma come to the er do not wait we'll see you in quickly if you're coming to the er for a sprained ankle you will probably wait three or four or five hours that is just the reality right now if you're coming in with a low acuity illness you're going to wait. There's no question about it. But we haven't had to really change and stop anything. We are slowing down some non-emergent elective cases and moving those cases out to our outpatient centers. And that's really to help staff out, give them a breather, provide a little bit more capacity in the system. But that's about it right now. The team has done a really outstanding job. That's inspiring to hear.
2: Sure, yeah. You have a few things going on right now, but we know that TGH's core identity is really tied to innovation in healthcare. Are those things still full speed ahead? Have you had to pause?
1: What we did early on in the pandemic is we bifurcated the organization, a piece of the organization that is focused on the response to COVID. And we have a piece of the organization that is focused on the recovery and the execution of our strategies as an organization and said very early on, we've got to have a team focused on responding. And that has to be a priority. But at the same time, our service line leaders need to be focused on growing our organization. Organization and executing our strategies. We did slow down a little bit, but we never stopped. We did things in the middle of the pandemic, like we went out to the markets and raised $550 million for our master facilities plan. We did that and we did that successfully. We broke ground and went vertical on a brand new state of the art acute care rehab hospital a mile away from our main facility. Our main facility sits on 25 acres in the city, about 3 million square feet. It's a big, big campus. We continued to execute on our urgent care strategies, and we've been opening up our urgent care centers, primary care offices. We continue to buy and to consolidate the freestanding medical imaging market. We have 18 freestanding imaging centers today. We just bought an additional two. We just created a de novo one, a new one. So we'll be up to 21 centers. We're building, but we're being very thoughtful, very strategic We've pumped the brakes a little bit, but we're continuing to execute on our strategies. So innovation, to your question, it's very much about who we are and we haven't stopped. And quite frankly, it's how we responded in part to COVID. We were very innovative. I'll give you an example. And our governor was here last week promoting it with us, thankfully, the Regeneron antibody therapy. We were working with Regeneron and Eli Lilly, and we were doing research on monoclonal antibody therapy back before President Trump made it famous. And we were delivering that therapy to people in our community And we were way out ahead of it through our physician scientists and our collaboration with the University of South Florida and USF Health. We're doing research on that. We stood up clinics almost immediately. We are the first in the state of Florida to deliver that therapy. I would put that into the innovation category. Our attitude was not that we have all the answers as a health system, because we don't, far from it. But our attitude from the beginning of this pandemic was we're going to innovate our way out of it as it relates to the response to the pandemic. We're gonna lean in to everything we do and it's really worked for us. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this has been a tough 16, 17 months. The team has done an outstanding job, and I contribute that to the attitude around innovation, collaboration, really helping
0: us. John, you've spoken frequently and passionately through the years about the system of care, and it's something we're working on how to update the mindset here You've partially described this in terms of your physical footprint. How do you think about the system of care moving forward, whether it's digital capabilities, the connections across your health system, the workforce, the incentives, what's top of mind for you as you talk about it? So I'm a big believer. I've drank the Kool-Aid, I wear the
1: T-shirt. I'm like the system of care guy. Bill, I've probably been working on that system of care with you and SG2 for what, 15 years? Yes. And the reason I love it so much is it works. I mean, it absolutely hands down has been an enormous differentiator for me as a leader and for the organizations that I've led. No question. That's a matter of fact. And I could sit here and board the listeners for an hour, giving you example after example, data point after data point to prove that up. The reality is, is when you look at the system of care, it is a collection of services. It's a constellation of facilities. I include IT in that. It's apps and it's for our EMR, but it's a collection of stuff organized around the patient, around building a patient-centered system of care. When I sit back and I look at our system of care and I look at what we've done in the ambulatory space in four years, Adam Smith, our chief ambulatory officer, has grown from having 17 locations off of our campus to 80 locations in the ambulatory piece of that system of care. As the acuity goes up and you look at what have we done in the inpatient space in the last four years, we've grown our tertiary and quaternary footprint, increased our market share from 19% in our primary markets to almost 24% market share doing all sorts of things in that piece of the system in the acute care world. And then in the post-acute care world, I'm giving you one example. We're building out an 80-bed, state-of-the-art acute care rehab less than a mile off of our main campus in the city, in a medical district. I look at this and I think, wow, we're really executing well on the system of care. But the system of care is brick and mortar. It's services, it's buildings, it's stuff. So what we've been building beneath it, which is to get to the next part of your question, what does your system of care 2.0 look like? It is moving into the care coordination business and building a care coordination model around the system of care. And think about this for just a moment and ask yourself this fundamental question. What type of business are we really in as healthcare providers? As leaders of health systems or hospitals, are we in the health and wellness business? Are we in the sickness business? Or are we in the care coordination business? And I would submit to you that we're in the care coordination business. I think for the last decade or so, we've thought that we were in the health and wellness business. And I think we made a fundamental error in thinking about it that way. People like me men and women. We went off to conferences. We heard people talk about health and wellness, about how we're no longer in the sickness business. We have to be in the health and wellness business. And that's going to be the path to the promised land. And all of our quality is going to get fixed through that path. And cost is going to go down. And the truth of the matter is health and wellness is a piece of the care coordination business. And I think we missed it. What we're really in is in the care coordination business, and that, to Tampa General, is the system of care 2.0. It is building a care coordination model around the system of care that will do the following. Drive quality outcomes and safety up in a sustainable, reproducible way, while driving costs down in a sustainable and reproducible way, so we can pass that value on to the consumer and lower healthcare costs. That's the journey we're on. And we think we get there by marrying up the system of care 1.0, which is the constellation of services and buildings and stuff with your care coordination model, connecting the two and then driving that value for the consumer, for the payer, the self-insured employer, and most importantly, the
0: patient, the person receiving the care. That's the journey that we're on. That's our next chapter. John, you're supposed to use the term digital transformation. What does that mean for Tampa Journal Hospital right now?
1: If digital transformation is a fancy way of saying we're going to use IT and systems and apps and all that kind of cool stuff to help enable the consumer to engage the system as like healthcare activists and move them from the passive to the active, then we're all in. And that's what we're doing at TGH. But it's a piece of the care coordination model. It's not the solution itself and this may raise an eyebrow or two, I don't think that like the solution is an app or somebody's gonna come in with this like one IT solution and solve all our problems in healthcare. As much as some people in the IT space would like that to happen, we're too complicated. I'm all in on care coordination. And I will say this, in his memory, Michael Sachs, who was a friend, a mentor, Someone who I really looked up to for years said to me before he passed away, what a loss for our industry. Great person. But we used to have long conversations about this. What kind of business are you really in, John? And he challenged me to say, stop with the whole health and wellness shtick. And if he's listening right now, he'd be saying it's not working, John, because if the health and wellness strategy was working, wouldn't across the country our quality and our safety and our clinical outcomes be better? Wouldn't the cost of health care be more competitive? Wouldn't we be passing that on to the consumer by now? And we're not doing any of that as a country. There are pockets of great examples around the country of people doing spectacular work. And I learn from those health systems every day. But when we look at the work sort of in its totality, the industry is not moving in the direction that we should be moving in. And we as a country have been looking at health and wellness, the social determinants of health, all of these things that are sort of in vogue. Personally, I think Michael was absolutely right. I saw the light before he unfortunately passed away. He had totally convinced me that we are in the care coordination business. And whatever health system figures that out and can execute on that and can scale to that will be wildly successful. It is transformative. That's the system of care 2.0. And I would submit to you maybe even 3.0 as we evolve
0: this. That's the future of the system of care. John, you've and your team come out of the last 18 months as different leaders. How do you reflect on how you lead a health system now moving forward versus ways you might have done it previously? We're battle-weary, but battle-tested. And I would say that that goes across the entire
1: industry, across the whole country. I have never been more proud of my team and the people that I call colleagues and team members. But I also have never been more proud of the men and women and the executives across the country. Whether it's through the Vizient networks that I have with all the other academic medical centers where we have shared information throughout the entire pandemic, whether it's sharing information through the Florida Hospital Association or the Florida Safety Net Hospital Association, I've never been more proud of the men and women that make up the leadership of those institutions. I have seen and participated in and watched people do incredible things. The resiliency of the industry, the resiliency of the people in the industry is absolutely outstanding. I have been blown away by that. It's been wonderful to watch. What I've learned, and I haven't had a chance to reflect as much as I'd like to because we're still in it. I've learned that my team can handle a lot. I've learned that they have a huge bandwidth for work I've got a team of people that basically haven't taken a break for 16 or 17 months now. Don't forget, healthcare is unique. We're an industry that has to care for these people that have COVID. But we're also an industry and a business that thousands of businesses rely on in our own communities. I've got small businesses and medium sized businesses and fairly large businesses that rely on Tampa General to operate efficiently and effectively and remain financially solvent because all these businesses in my community do business with us. I have to operate as a business in the community to help safeguard the economic prosperity of the community while at the same time care for thousands of COVID patients. It's kind of a weird place to be if you just sit back and you think about that. What I've learned is the team is resilient. My team is focused. My team is extremely disciplined. One of the things we promised ourselves is we'd work really hard at making decisions and interacting with each other using the frontal lobe and not the limbic system. It's easy to react on emotion. You wanna make decisions using your frontal lobe. And as funny as that might sound, it's hard to do. You're kind of in the fog of war, a lot of pressure. These teams are working seven days a week. My COO, she has not stopped for 17 months. You build in balance, you build in days, you build in mental health days, don't get me wrong, but you know what I'm talking about. And she's a microcosm of what's been happening around the country, We're not anything special. Everybody's doing this. So I've learned that my team is even tougher than I thought they were. And I thought very highly of my team prior to this pandemic. They're kind of like godlike to me now because I've watched them in action for literally 17 months. I know I'm gushing over them a little, If the community could see what I see every day, and I see how hard my doctors work, nurses work, the leadership here works, you'd feel really good that you're being taken care of by Tampa General and by all the health systems in the community. One of the things we did, which I thought was really important, is HCA, Advent, Baycare, and TGH. We all got together and said, when it comes to this pandemic, Our response to the pandemic will transcend competition. We will operate as a virtual system. We will share ideas. We will share resources if we can. We will share best practices. We will be there for each other so we can collectively be there for the community. And we've been doing that from day one
0: of this pandemic. John, you've always been passionate as well about uh, partnerships, and you've been adventurous and sought out multiple partnerships, traditional, non-traditional. Is that still your philosophy as a leader?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Partnerships are a wonderful thing because you can't be great at everything. That's impossible. When I was 34, I thought you could be great at everything. But at 54, I've learned you can't be great at everything. You just can't. And there are people out there that do things better than you. So we have all sorts of unique partnerships. We have a partnership with our radiologists and our imaging centers. We have a partnership with physicians on our urgent care centers. We partnered with Kindred to do our acute care rehab hospital. We're a couple of months away from announcing a joint venture with a home health agency in our market. We've recently partnered with Sheba Medical Center in Israel to cross-pollinate intellectual capital and share best practices. and move our doctors back and forth from Israel to Florida and vice versa, that will become a lot easier when we can get past this COVID craziness. I absolutely believe in partnerships. The healthcare industry is not shrinking, it's expanding. And we're part of a global community. We've got to understand that. And the people that don't understand that, well, just look at the pandemic we're in. If that doesn't show you that we're all interconnected, nothing will. You've got to look around the globe in a lot of cases and look for people and organizations that share your values, that have similar cultures, and partner with them and learn from them and grow with them. That's essentially what we do and probably even more passionate about it because I've seen the benefits of it. We're a better organization today because of our partnerships than we were even three or four years ago. John, thank you
0: for your time today.
2: This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at SG2Perspectives at SG2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast, on Vizian's Medical Leadership channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.